Well, good morning, Rivertown Community Church at all locations this morning. Is anyone excited to be at church this morning? Anyone? Amazing, amazing. Uh, well, hey, my name is Gerald Fediomi, and it is such an honor and a privilege to be with y'all all this morning as we wrap up this series, Be Rich. Uh, if you haven't been with us for the whole series, this series is really based on three words, give, serve, and love. And a couple of weeks ago, you had the privilege to give to some great nonprofits who are doing great work in your community. Uh, and then last week, we talked about serving, and a lot of you spent last week and even this weekend serving some of those organizations and serving some people people in your community. And we're going to wrap up this week by talking about love. So I'd love to pray for us and then we'll jump in. Father, thank you uh, for the opportunity to hear your word this morning. I pray that you would speak clearly and boldly, uh, that you would show us your grace, but that you would also challenge us and convict us that we would leave here differently uh, and the world would experience who you are because of what's happened in this room. So would you use the next few moments that we have together uh, for your glory and for your name. We pray all these things in Jesus name. Amen. Well, hey, since this is my first time here with you all, I felt like there were a couple of things that you needed to know about me so that we could be family. I don't like talking to strangers. I like talking to family. So a couple of things you need to know about me, really three things in particular. The first is this, is that both of my parents are African. Now, when I say African, I don't mean like African-American. I mean like African-African. I'm talking like Lion King, Madagascar, Jungle Book, like African. Uh, my dad is from Nigeria. His name is Oluwa. Femi. My mom is from Liberia. Her name is Equa. Somehow the two came together and had a kid by the name of Gerald. <laughs> right. It's like the whitest name for the blackest person you've ever seen in your entire life, but it is what it is. Uh, second thing you need to know about me is I'm a huge Florida Gator fan. Any other Gators in the room? Come on, come on. It's nice to be around other Christians right now. It's amazing. Um, you know, I'm from Atlanta, and so living in Atlanta, it's really hard because anytime I say I'm a Gator fan, somebody barks at me, and then I, then I have to spend the rest of the service praying for them. So it's good to be around any other Christian. Any Knowles fans in the room this morning? Yeah, can we, if you're a Gator fan, can you just reach your hand towards them and just, just pray for them real quick? They need it this season. They need it. They need it. Uh, third and final thing that you need to know about me is I am a sucker for love. I love love. Any hopeless romantics in the room like me this morning? Yeah, come on. I, I'm, I'm that guy. I've seen The Notebook probably 60-something times. Okay, don't judge me. Okay, I love the movie. It's a good movie. Uh, the idea that this man would build a house for this woman that he does not even know if she's going to come back or not. What a demonstration of love. I love love. I love demonstrations of love. I love moments of love that just make you go, oh. <laughs> I had one of those moments in my own life. Um, as I think about moments like that, I'm reminded of my wedding day. And I can remember the day like it was yesterday. It was May 25th, 2017. I still remember the date. I'm only three years into marriage. That's probably why. Um, but I remember it like it was yesterday. I woke up and went over to my best friend's house. All of my groomsmen were there. They were all hanging out. We making steaks together. We're having conversations. We're telling inside jokes. We're reminiscing on old times. We're just having a phenomenal time together. But about halfway through our time, I remember I'm supposed to wrap a gift for my future wife. I need to sit down and do this. And so I sit down in the living room and I'm last minute. And so I'm like slapping tape and paper together and I'm trying to make the thing work. 
work, and as I'm doing it, there's a knocking at the door. So I go open the front door, and in comes her maid of honor, and she comes with this perfectly wrapped box that looks like it just came from Pottery Barn. And here I am, like a four-year-old, doing construction paper and tape on, a, on this box. And so I finish up wrapping the box, and I hand it to her, and she hands me the gift that Kylie, my, my future wife, has wrapped for me. And I'm sitting there looking at this gift, and maybe it is because I've seen the notebook so many times, but for some reason I thought, you know what, if I just wait for like 10 minutes, then maybe we'll open the presents at the exact same time. I know, she said, aww. <laughs> and so I sat and I waited. And about 10 minutes later, I begin to open the gift. Now, anyone who knows me knows I'm a big sneakerhead. I love shoes, and so I'm opening this box, and it's the perfect size for a pair of shoes, and so I'm getting really excited. But when I open it up, what I find on the inside is not a pair of Jordans, which is what I really would have wanted. Instead, what I find is this box. And I think, what a terrible gift. Does she even know me? But then I open the box. And when I do, what I find on the inside are letters and journals. Letters that my wife had been writing to her future husband since 2015. Right. I start reading through the letters and, and as I do, I begin to smile because I waited for 10 minutes. And I imagine that as I was waiting, Kylie was opening her gift at the same time as me. And she would open it up, and in her terribly wrapped box, she would find this wooden box. And she would open it up and look inside, and when she did, she would find letters that I had been writing to my future wife since 2015. Now, let me explain to you what's happening in the room right now. All of the husbands in the room are like, I hate this guy. Who is he? Paul, get him out of here. Why did you invite him last time? All of the wives in the room are like, Bob, why didn't you write me a note? Where are my letters? Bob, start writing right now. Ignore the sermon. Write. You have 30 years to catch up on. <laughs> Think back to this moment, and I think what a beautiful demonstration of love. That before Kylie and I ever knew each other existed, we had been writing letters to each other talking about the way that we've grown, talking about the way that God was working in us, talking about the type of husband and type of wife we wanted to be. What a beautiful demonstration of love. But as I think about these letters and I think about these boxes, what I'm reminded this morning as we talk about love is that as beautiful of a demonstration as this is, it fails in, the in comparison to what God has done to demonstrate his love to us. As beautiful as this is, and if we even wanted to fast forward, as beautiful as the wedding day was, it fails in comparison to what God has done to demonstrate his love to you and to me. I think about the love of God, and I'm reminded of one of the most famous passages of Scripture in the Bible. If you've grown up in church, you've heard this verse thousands of times, and even if you haven't grown up in church, this verse has probably become familiar to you. It's easily the most famous passage of Scripture in the Bible. It's John 3:16. We all know it. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, 
that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. We've heard this verse so many times that it becomes common to us. Now, some of us could repeat it without even having to look at it. This verse is something that we hear over and over and over and over again to the point that many of us have become numb to it. And so before we go any further, my challenge to you would be this. Could you just slow down for long enough this morning to really think about what John was writing about Jesus? Could you really slow down for long enough to think about these words? For God so loved the world that he gave and sacrificed his one and only son. That whoever would believe in him could have eternal life. That God, to demonstrate his love to you and to me, would send his son from the perfection of heaven down to a broken world. To spend 33 years living the perfect life that none of us could live, only to be betrayed by his own friends, to be spit on and mocked by a crowd, to be beaten within inches of his life, to be forced to carry a cross through a town, to be hung on that cross and suffocate to death, to demonstrate his love to you and me. If you really think about this idea, it's crazy. If you really think about this idea, it's radical. If you really think about this idea, it's an extravagant thing that God has done to demonstrate his love to us. Earlier this year, my wife and I found out that we were pregnant. And um, yeah, thank you, I appreciate that. Um, You're gonna pray for me in a second. You're clapping now, you're praying in a second. Um, We found out that we were pregnant, not just with one one kid, Um, we're pregnant with identical twins. Yeah, okay. Well, you're, yeah, thanks. I appreciate that. Really, I'm going to need you to pray. They're girls. Okay? <laughs> Identical twin girls. We uh, took a picture to kind of announce our, our girls coming to the world. That's us. That's my wife. Uh, she cheered for the Falcons for four years. That's why we're all wearing Falcon stuff, because to be honest, that's a really hard picture to take this year. We're really struggling as Falcons. We're not rising up. We're doing the exact opposite. But, um... I think about these little girls coming into the world, and they're not even here yet, and I already love them. I already love them so much that I would sacrifice anything for them. So the idea of sacrificing them to prove something to someone else makes no sense to me. The idea of trading them for something I couldn't even think of. The idea of giving them up and knowing that pain and hurt was coming their way is a thought that I can't even fathom. Yet God has done this crazy, radical, extravagant thing to prove his love to us, that he would sacrifice his own son to have right relationship with you and with me. It's crazy. It's radical. It's extravagant. But there's a problem. And the problem is this. There's people who don't know. That as crazy and radical and extravagant of a thing that God has done to prove his love to the world, to demonstrate his love for us, there are still people who do not know. And they don't know for two reasons. One is because they haven't heard. Uh, a couple of years ago, I was in Seattle, and my mom's side of the family lives out there, and so we were hanging out with her family, and we were there over a Sunday, so we decided to go to this church that I really love in Seattle, and my immediate family goes, and we spend the day there. We come back and, and meet my aunt and uncle and their kids for lunch, 
And they're asking us how the service went and what the pastor talked about. And the pastor that morning had done a sermon on the feeding of the 5,000. And so we sit with them at this meal and we're explaining, yeah, he did, you know, this teaching on the feeding of the 5,000. It's a great story. And my cousin looks at me and he goes, what's that? Like, are, are you kidding me? You've never heard, you know, Jesus takes the Lunchable, multiplies it, feeds, <laughs> no? It's like, never heard of it. And oftentimes for me, when I think of this idea that people have never heard of the crazy, radical, extravagant thing that God has done to prove his love to the world, I think like, yeah, there's some countries that don't have access to the scripture and there's some places that missionaries haven't gone yet, but I would never think of my own cousin right here in the U.S. And I just wonder, how many of your coworkers have never heard? Because we assume they know. I just wonder how many family members you're going to run into this Thanksgiving that you assume know the story and the love of Jesus, but they've never been told. I just wonder how many friends you interact with on a weekly basis who have never heard of the crazy, radical, extravagant love of God. It's one reason. The second reason, though, that people don't know is because they haven't experienced it. For a lot of people in our context, it's not that they haven't heard of Jesus. It's not that they've never heard of a church. It's not that they've never heard John 3:16. The reason that they don't know of the crazy, radical, extravagant love of God is because they've met a Christian who's treated them the exact opposite as Jesus would have. And they've never experienced this love. They feel judged. They feel beaten up. They feel like they're not good enough to walk into these doors, and they've never experienced a Christian loving them the way that Jesus would have if he was here. There's a world who doesn't know about the crazy, radical, extravagant love of God. Y'all, here's the good news. The good news is we get to be a part of the solution. The good news is there's something that we can do to change this narrative. And so to show you what that is, I, I want to take a look at a conversation that happens between Jesus and his disciples. The conversation is found in John chapter 20, starting in verse 19. To give you a little context for what's happening, Jesus has already been crucified on the cross. He's already been buried in the grave, and the movement of Christianity as we know it is done. The disciples are afraid of what might happen to them. Their savior, their leader, their rabbi has been crucified. They never saw it coming. They never thought that it could happen. And everything seems dark and everything seems bleak. One day, the disciples find themselves in a room together. And they're locked in this room because they're afraid of the Jewish leaders. They're afraid of what might happen to them. But then Jesus shows up into the conversation. He resurrects from the grave. And he begins to speak to them. John 20, starting in verse 19, says this. It says, On the evening of the first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. So the disciples are in this room. They're afraid of the Jewish leaders because they know what the Jewish leaders have done to Jesus, and they're afraid the same might happen to them, that they may be beaten within inches of their life the way that their leader was that they may at worst be killed the way that their leader was. And so they're in this room and they're afraid. And Jesus shows up in the room and he says the only appropriate thing to say in that moment. Guys, peace be with you. Hey, hey, I know, calm down. 
Yeah, yeah, I know, shh. I know it's crazy, but it's me, and I'm back. John continues on with his account, and he says this. He says, uh, after he said this, he showed them his hands in the side. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. So again, Jesus said to them, peace be with you. And then Jesus makes the statement that I believe changed the course of history. He looks at his few who are left, and he says, as the Father has sent me, I am now sending you. Jesus shows up in the room. They're probably afraid. He says, peace, no, 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 peace be with you. It's fine, don't worry. He then shows them his hands and his side as if to say, hey, I know you might think you're hallucinating. You might think this is a dream. No, 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 you got to understand. This is the real deal. It's me, y'all. I'm back. See the wounds in my hand. See, see the spot where they stabbed me with the spear? It's me. I am back. And now the response changes from fear to excitement. And they're going, y'all, this is crazy. He's back. They're high-fiving. They're chest-bumping. Jesus goes, whoa, 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 guys, guys, guys. Peace be with you. Hey, calm down and take my peace. And I think the reason Jesus said this a second time is because he knew what he would ask them to do next would be terrifying. He knew what he would say to them next would be the most challenging thing that they could hear. He knew what he would say to them next would require them to walk through life with a peace that passes understanding. He knew they needed his peace for his next statement. And then he says it, as the Father has sent me, I'm sending you. Translation, you got to go. Guys, guys, you got to go. You can't stay here. I know, it's scary out there. I know, you saw what they did to me. I know, you don't have the power to resurrect yourself back to the grave. But I'm just telling you, you gotta go. Because there's a world on the other side of these doors who do not know about the crazy, radical, extravagant thing that God has done through me to demonstrate his love to them. So you have to leave this room and you have to go. You got to tell them. You got to show them. Because they don't know. And all I imagine is, as Jesus made that statement to them, as the Father sent me, I'm not sending you, that maybe they had a moment where they remembered their time with Jesus. I mean, this isn't in the scripture. This is just my own interpretation. But I like to imagine what the moment might have been like. And I just imagine that as Jesus is saying, as the Father has sent me, that they would have had to stop for a moment and think about how Jesus came to them and what their moments with Jesus were like. They probably remembered how Jesus gave. They would think back to the cross and remember him hanging there for hours as he suffocated to death. They would remember him being thirsty and having sour vinegar put to his lips. They would remember the crown of thorns on his head and the sign that would hang over him that would say, King of the Jews. They remember as he takes his last breath, as he looks at the crowd and says, It is finished. And they would have remembered how Jesus gave his life for them. I would imagine that 
that as Jesus says this statement to them, as the Father has sent me, I am sending you, that they would have remembered the way that Jesus served them. They would have thought back to this traditional Passover meal that they would have celebrated every year to celebrate the freedom um, from the oppression of the Egyptians that the Jewish had. That they would walk into this meal expecting it to be the way that it is every single year, but this time they walked into the meal different. Because when they walked into the room, Jesus had removed his outer garment and he was on his hands and knees and he began to wash the feet of his disciples. You have to understand, this was the work of the lowest servant in the house. It's the reason that Peter said to Jesus, Jesus, you can't wash my feet. And Jesus goes, Peter, you don't understand, I have to. And he begins to wash the feet of his disciples. He would do the work of a servant. And I have to imagine that as they heard Jesus say, as the Father has sent me, I am sending you. They remembered the way that he gave. They remembered the way that he served. But most of all, they would have remembered the way that he loved. I mean, can you imagine how Peter would have felt in the room? Being there knowing that he sat at that same dinner and said to Jesus, I will never turn my back on you. I will lay down my life for you, Jesus. I'm your ride or die. I am with you till the very end. Jesus, I got you. I'm not going to leave you. I'm not going to fail you. I'm not going to betray you. But then the second he was questioned, he turned his back on Jesus. The second he was asked by a middle school girl, he says, I didn't know him. And yet Jesus reinstates him. And Jesus gives him another chance. Can you imagine how Peter would have felt in that room? Can you imagine how Matthew would have felt? The tax collector that would have been hated by his entire community because he turned his back on his own family and friends, worked for the Roman government, and worse than that, he increased the tax so that he could get rich on their own backs. And Jesus walks up to this table, this outcast who would have been hated. He says, I know who you are, but follow me. There's space for you with me. I accept you, Matthew, come on. Can you imagine how these guys would have felt? They would have remembered their time with Jesus. They would have remembered how he gave. They would have remembered how he served. They would have remembered how he loved. And it compelled them to go out into the world and do the same. Just read through the story of Acts. As you see the disciples go and give and share amongst each other all that they had. As you see the way that the disciples served their community, as you see the way that they loved the people around them, they would have remembered the way that God had sent Jesus and they went out into the world and they did the exact same and it changed everything. I mean, here we are 2,000 years later, gathered in churches all around the world because in this one moment, Jesus said, there is a world who does not know about the crazy, extravagant, radical demonstration of love from their heavenly father. And there's no way they'll ever find out if you don't go. And so they went and it changed everything. Can you imagine if they hadn't? Can you imagine if their fear had gotten the better of them? Can you imagine if they had just stayed in that room? Would we ever know? Would we be sitting in this room? Would you have experienced the love of God? You see, the reality is, is if they didn't go, 
we wouldn't know. And while that's true for the disciples, hear me this morning, it's also true for us. The thing is, Jesus was wrapping up this series that he might say to us the same thing he said to the disciples. Hey, guys, 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 come on. I know it's safe at Rivertown. I know it's safe in these four walls. I know it's easy to be a Christian in here when you're surrounded by other Christians. I know it's easy to sing the songs and raise your hand when you're surrounded by other people who are doing the same. But y'all, come on, come on, come on. You can't be comfortable in here. We can't just settle for showing up in this room on Sunday. No, 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 you, you gotta go. You gotta go because there's a world out there who does not know, maybe because they haven't heard, maybe because they haven't experienced it, but they don't know about the crazy, radical, extravagant love of God. And if we don't go, then they won't know. So we gotta go. We gotta leave this room. We have to tell the world. Or we could say it like this. For God so loved the world, he sent his son. But for God so loved your world, he's sending you. For God so loved your coworkers, he sent you. You're not at your job by mistake. For God so loved your family, he sent you. You're not a part of the family that you're in by mistake. For God so loved your friends, he sent you. Your friendships are not accidental. God has intentionally sent you where you are to go and be the demonstration of his love to the world. And if we don't go, they will never know. For God so loved the world, he sent a son. But for God so loved your world, he's sending you. So what does this look like? How do we put this in to action. Well, as I think about Jesus coming to the planet Earth, there's really three things that I noticed that Jesus did. The first is this, is that he meets us where we are. That Jesus very easily could have said, you know what, no, God, I don't think we should go down there. I think what I should do is tell them to get all of their crap together, get everything right, make sure they're all buttoned up and everything's good, and then they can come to us. But instead of doing that, what does Jesus do? He leaves perfection and steps into our brokenness. He leaves heaven and steps on to his own creation, to the world that we broke, and he meets us. All the other campuses are going, what happened? <laughs> he comes up. Nope. Hello. Hold on. Check, check, check. There we go. We're back. He comes to us. <laughs> he spends time with us and he meets us right where we are. Second thing that Jesus does is he understands our world. You know what I love so much about Jesus? Is that he easily could have come back just as fully God, but instead he chose to come as fully man and fully God. Why does he do this? Why is it that Jesus chose to be born a baby? I think the reason he does this is so that he can understand everything that we face. So that there would never be a time that you would be able to say, God doesn't understand. No, he knows what it's like to be betrayed. He knows what it's like to be tempted. 
He knows what it's like to suffer. He knows what it's like to lose someone he loves. He knows what it's like to experience pain and joy. He knows exactly how we feel. He meets us where we are. He understands our world. And then lastly, he serves with all he has. He gives his entire life away to us. And so if we are going to be the demonstration of love that Jesus has been to us, if we are going to go in the same way that he came, I think it's going to require us to do these three things. To meet our coworkers, to meet our friends, to meet our family right where they are. To not expect them to have everything buttoned up and figured out and then come to church. No, no, no. Maybe it's having a conversation with them in the lunchroom. Maybe it's having a conversation this Thanksgiving. Maybe it's spending some time in their world. And then it's going to require us to understand their world in the same way that Jesus did. To not point fingers of judgment, but to have a heart of empathy. To be the kind of people who are curious enough to wonder, why is it that they think that way? Why is it that they vote that way? Why is it that they live that way? And not be so quick to judge, but to try to understand. And then lastly, it's going to require us to serve. And we may not be able to sacrifice everything that we have like Jesus has done for us, but we can serve however we can. Maybe it's with our time. Maybe it's with our money. Maybe it's just being a shoulder that they can cry on. Here's the thing. I don't know what this looks like for you. I don't know who the person is in your world, but I am just telling you, if we all walked out of here and decided to live lives that looked like that, can you imagine how our communities would change? Can you imagine how your family would change? Can you imagine how your workplace would transform? Can you imagine what your relationship with your kids might look like if you decided to do those three things in their life and in your relationship with them? I'm telling you, it could change everything. Why do I believe this? Because I had someone do that for me. And it changed my entire world. I grew up in Atlanta, Georgia. My parents were never married. My dad left when I was in the third grade. Grew up with a single mom. We really struggled to get by. Junior year in high school, my mom went to jail. And at 16 years old, I was by myself, trying to figure out this thing called life. I'd grown up going to church, but I decided because of the way that my mom's life had gone and knowing that she was a Christian, that there's no way that God could be good. And so I gave up on the whole church thing. I gave up on God. I gave up on religion. And I started to live my own life. But in the background of my story, there was one guy. His name was Wes. And I remember when my mom got diagnosed with cancer that Wes was the first person in the waiting room at the hospital. I remember when we got evicted from our apartment that Wes was the one who showed up with his truck and helped us move to my grandparents' house. I remember when my mom went to jail that Wes was the first person who showed up and took me out to a meal and told me that he would walk through life with me. I remember moving into Atlanta and becoming a club promoter and throwing parties and hanging out with rappers and smoking and drinking and living this wild, crazy life and Wes driving into the hood of Atlanta and sitting down with me and catching up on life. You see, here's the thing, the crazy thing about my relationship with Wes is Wes never shared the gospel with me. He lived the gospel with me. He never had to say the words. He just demonstrated the love of Christ by meeting me where I was, by understanding my world, by serving me however he could. And when I got to a place where I couldn't believe there was a God who could ever love someone like me because I was too broken and I made too many mistakes, I remembered Wes. I remembered the Christian 
who showed up and loved me in a crazy, radical, extravagant way. And it made me believe that maybe there was a God who could love me the same. And y'all, there's someone in your story, someone at your job, someone in your family, a friend that you know who desperately needs a Wes. And that person could be you. So where do we start? Really simple challenge. Lunch and learn. What does this mean? It's really simple. Take someone to lunch, learn about their life. That's where we start. We meet them where they are. Take them to their favorite restaurant and just ask them to tell you their story. Be curious enough to understand their world. And once you do that, you'll understand where you can fit in, where you can serve, how you can love them the way that Jesus has loved us. And who knows, maybe this time next year, they'll be sitting in a room like this, telling their story of how you showed up and love them in a crazy, radical, extravagant way. You see, for God so loved the world, he sent a son. But for God so loved your world, he's sending you. So let's go, because there's a world who doesn't know. Father, thank you for the opportunity that you've given us to be your hands and feet. Thank you for the reality that you don't need us, but you choose us. And you allow us to be a part of what you're doing in the world. And so, Father, I pray for every person under the sound of my voice, whatever campus that they're at, that you right now would bring to mind the name of a person that they need to go to lunch with. That you right now would bring to mind someone that they can meet where they are, that they can begin to understand their world, and that they can begin to serve however they can. And Father, as they do this, I pray that the people that we would encounter would experience your love in a crazy, radical, extravagant way. And as they do, they'd be pointed back to you. So give us the courage to have the conversation. Give us the wisdom to know how and when to do it uh, and convict us enough that we would do it today. We love you and we thank you. We pray all these things in Jesus' name, amen. Hey, thanks so much for being with us this morning. We will see you back here next week.